Welcome to more about officership, an open and honest discussion about officership in Australia. As we move towards one Australia territory, host Captain Matt Reed is joined by officers from across the country to discuss the challenges and rewards of being an officer today. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Candidates Podcast. If you're looking to explore ministry in the Salvation Army or leadership in the Salvation Army, you have come to the right place. Um, just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to uh, our iTunes um, account or whatever you call it, I don't think it's called an account, but whatever it's called, uh, subscribe to the uh, More About Officership podcast and you'll see there's a whole bunch of podcasts that we've done over the last sort of 12-ish months um, and you can listen to heaps of stories. Now, uh, I have a every every week is a special guest, but this week is Braddles, uh, Major Brad Watson, whose claim to fame is that we used to be in the same YP band together at Preston. I suspect, of uh, if not many other things. Um, Brad, so welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, mate. Now you are obviously more than just the uh, the former principal solo cornet for the Preston YP band. So we we'll, we will get into that in just a just a moment, um, but generally, tell us who you are why you're important, all that sort of jazz. Who I am, I'm Brad. I am one of those middle-aged guys that hangs around gyms and does a lot of fitness stuff. I do music and happen to be an officer as well. What do you that mean is, do music? What is, how do you do music? Oh, well, I, my first thing when I left uni was to go to the Conservatorium of Music in Melbourne and study trumpet and contemporary vocals and I play a little bit of piano Did as you, well. I don't remember you doing that. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, it didn't last very long. I ended up as an officer. <clears throat> so yeah. so there's always hope for every musician who doesn't. Oh, absolutely. Do, do you remember, um, In this is not a YP band reunion, but in the YP band we used to pl- go on those trips and yeah, we used to do all those. Yeah, Wodonga and Eaglehawk and mm. I think we did Shepparton. Yeah, we went to Shepparton. Yeah. it's good. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah, so that's, that's me in a nutshell alongside my good and better half, Angela, and our two children, Zoe and Dom. Yeah. How old are Zoe and Dominic? Zoe turns 15 in a week or so, mm-hmm. which is very frightening mm-hmm. and anyone out there with a 15-year-old daughter would relate to that. And Dominic's 11. Okay. Essendon supporter. Yeah. Seriously. Lifelong. Lifelong. Seems to have rubbed off. My, my son's a passionate Essendon supporter that puts me to shame with his passion. Okay. Yeah. Now, you, you live in Tassie at the moment, so what I'm going to do is we're going to work backwards. So right. we'll start in your current appointment, talk about some of the, I guess, the leadership opportunities that you have in there and sort of how that is life-giving, if it is in actual fact life-giving, but the things that about the current appointment. So tell us about that. Yeah, so at the moment I have two appointments, my um, substantive or... Uh, Your more primary, important one. My, my time-consuming one is my role as the um, Divisional Public Relations Secretary for Tassie. So that's a diverse role. I mean, it covers everything from media relations to marketing, government re- and corporate relations, fundraising, whole bunch of stuff like that. Um, so the key parts about that are trying to keep the Salvation Army as front of mind for government, business and donors. Um, trying to keep us in the media for the right reasons and out of the media for the wrong reasons and trying to fundraise, trying to support the mission through things like the Red Shield Appeal and whatever. Okay. Yeah. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, there's a lot of really good opportunities. I mean, I'm, I'm a talker, as you'll probably gather doing the podcast. <laughs> um, so talking to media, talking to businesses, those sort of things are, are fairly easy for me. Um, <clears throat> fundraising's not easy in any environment. No. Um, but... 
even that with the right plan and the right support, you can pull it off. So, um, so yeah, I don't mind it. Um, and I, and I get to sort of break out of my world a little bit every now and then too, because I also have an appointment as a army chaplain. Oh, yeah, okay. Fun. Talk about that because, um, a lot of interest, I suppose, in chaplaincy, but in particular, army chaplaincy, what's that about? Yeah, so for the last a little bit more than 10 years, I've been engaged as a army chaplain in a army reserve capacity. So I'm actually a member of the Defence Force and I get posted within the Defence Force in the same way that I would get posted in the Salvation Army. So that's given me heaps of opportunities. They just have to be in the same state, is that? Well, if you... the the Army, believe it or not, are a little bit more accommodating than the Salvation Army. So if the Salvation Army moved me and I've had a good review that year, they tend the Army Army tend to look after me and find me a placement. Um, and it's been really good. I've had opportunities in um, a training command. I've been in with the engineers for three years. I was a, an assistant chaplain at the SAS. I've worked in logistics and now I'm working with Army cadets. So I've had lots of opportunities in lots of different fields. And, and you're the bandmaster at Hobart. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's a penalty or if that's an opportunity. Or you if love that's it. A, you love it. I get frustrated by it sometimes, to be honest. But sure. um, but it is it is good to be able to use like a, a skill I have and use it in my local setting. Because yeah. one, of, one of my things when I'm not a core officer is that I want to do what I can that's going to appropriately help my core officer. So at Hobart at the moment, that means I help with the contemporary band a bit. So you're a good soldier. I try to be a good soldier. Yeah, um, that's fair enough. At the moment, that means taking on some local officership stuff. So mention that about when you're not a core officer because you have been a core officer. Talk about some of your core officer experiences that you and Angela have had together. Yeah, I've had three core appointments. Angela's had four because we were single officers first and then married. Um, so when, when we got married, I was a core officer in, uh, Western Victoria. She was in Northern Victoria and... Where was she in Northern Victoria? She was at Eagle Hawk. And... Oh, was she? Yeah, and I was at Stall. And when we got married, this, this speaks to what was going on 20 years ago. There was no real appointments process that sorted out what to do with people in that situation back then. So she just moved to my place. Um, she, she was never actually appointed to stall. Um, <laughs> she just moved in. She just moved took in. Took over. Um, and took it. Yeah, so she was never really appointed there, but Eagle Hawk was left vacant and she moved to stall and they sorted that out at the next field change. Um, so then, we, so I did four years at stall, um, three and a half Which is country Victoria, like which th- is country Victoria. three hours out yeah, of three Melbourne? Three and a bit hours out of Melbourne, yep. out in the Grampians, near Halls Gap. Yep. Beautiful okay. country. Good. Lots of grapes, lots of gold mining. Grapes. The Grampians. Yeah, yeah, big winery area, yeah. Great Western. So um, great place to live. Great right. running club, which was important for me. Great theatre company in the Wirral, oh, which yeah, was you're important for Oh, you're a runner too. Yeah. Do you still do marathons and all that? I haven't done one since my last year in Perth. Okay. So it's about two years ago since I did my last one. I, I want to do the Point of Pinnacle this year, which is called the World's Toughest Half Marathon. It starts down at Rest Point um, at Sandy Bay in Tassie and it runs up Mount Wellington. But I haven't trained enough yet. Do whatever you like. Yeah. So that was stall. And then our second court, we had a little sojourn into divisional youth work for a while. Um, then we... Where was that? South Australia. Oh. So yeah. we did uh, youth and candidates. I did youth and candidates in South Australia. Angela did children and youth. Um, then we went to Marion and we did eight ah. years in suburban Adelaide as the CEOs at Marion. And then after that, we did three years as the core officers at Perth Fortress in the city in Perth. So all very different. Oh, extremely. So country Victoria, suburban Adelaide, inner city Perth. Couldn't be more different. Yeah, right. 
What do you reckon? Look, there's opportunities in all of them. Um, in in the country Victoria setting, we really loved being the community. Like we were one of the community leaders. We were with the community. Yeah. We were in all the clubs and stuff. It was great. Suburban opportunities are different. Um, we had a local church feel there. So it was um, certainly amongst a broader... This is Marion. This is at Marion. So it was yeah. amongst a broader metropolitan area, um, a, a key part of Adelaide. It's where there's Flinders Medical Centre, Flinders Uni, Marion, Westfield, so all a lot of big infrastructure in that area. Um, and it was a nice community church in that area that certainly reflected the, uh, who Marion was. We used to do plan giving surveys and things like that where you look at where your people live and almost all of our people had a 504 postcode. So they were all very local. Yeah. Um, Perth was very different. Perth, we had a lot of social programs attached to the core. We had a commuter church. So we had people coming from an hour and a half in any general direction. Um, mm. Larger was, church. Yes, yeah. I was there a few weeks ago mm. and um, all the like – there's a cafe and – was that all there when you were there? Is that yeah, part so of during our time there we – I think we, it's called Booze or something. Yeah, Coffee Booth. Booth, Coffee Booth. Coffee Booth is the cafe there. So we had Coffee Booth. We had the church community, which was pretty large and diverse. We had doorways. The City Homelessness Service was part of our program. Uh, street Teams, which goes out on the weekends to the streets and serves the homeless. That was part of Perth Fortress. And we hosted other people as well. So we had um, E Plus came and used our facilities one or two days a week. We had um, community groups hire facilities, including the uh, even the Western Australian Symphony Orchestra chorus would rehearse in our facilities. Um, so we had people, we had hundreds of people through every day, all the time. It was a really vibrant inner city sort of feel. Yeah, cool. So I guess my question is why are you a Salvation Army officer? Given Given, let me finish. Yeah, yeah, it's probably good that you qualify that question. Given that you have skills in lots of other areas, so musically, you talked about that. You've got, did you, you've completed an international, we haven't got there, but didn't you do some study in international? Yeah, something? I've got a Master of International Development. Master of International Development, you're doing your MBA. Mm. What else? Uh, I've done some other studies around, like I've got a Master of Ministry and a few things like yeah, that. Right. So yeah, right. You got options. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So you chose and you still choose to be a Salvation Army officer. Why? That's a really good question. I think there's lots of different answers depending on the Because you can do something else. Yeah. Yeah, well, healthy people always have options. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, get that's, that. That's a good thing to remember, you know. Good officers will always have good options. And so for most of us it comes down to and I'm not arrogant enough to automatically put myself in that category, but the reality is Come healthy on. people will have options. Um, so it comes down to a couple of things. One is there's a conviction or there is something that, we would, that we've generically or traditionally called calling or something like that that says this is what I was meant to do or this is how I got into it in the first place. And for me that came in two <coughs> lightning bolt sort of ways. There was one where um, I was at one of the old youth council events you remember those? And I remember saying to... Were they singing, you know, The Power of His Love or something oh, like that? something like that. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I'd like to think that was during my time. Celebrate Jesus. That, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I remember actually... Shine, Jesus, shine. There we go. Now, you would remember from the Preston days, our DYs, Lennon Marnie. Yes. Um, and I remember saying to Marnie... Fondly. Yeah. Well, I remember yeah. saying to Marnie at that event, I think I'm meant to be an officer, and she said, I've been waiting for you to say that to me. In, in a very Marnie sort of way. Yeah. 
Um, then it was sort of put aside for a little while. I mean, I had a follow-up conversation with my CO, but, you know, it was whatever. Yeah. Um, then there was a, uh, a year or so later I went on a fishing trip with some friends from my work. I, at that stage I was doing some work with the Victorian Public Service because um, music teaching wasn't paying enough to feed yep. me. And um, I went with some of the guys from my my department. We went fishing up on the Murray River over Easter. Hang on a minute. You used to work for the liquor... That's who I was working liquor for. Licker licensing, licensing Commission. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I was a transfers and hearings officer for liquor licensing. So <laughs> right. my job was to transfer... I had two jobs. <laughs> One of my jobs was to transfer liquor licences when people bought pubs and nightclubs. So I had to make sure that all the conditions on the licences were kosher we're, for that still new... yeah, yeah. Got into trouble a few times screwing that up. And um, my other job was um, sitting in hearings around the state that were specialist hearings for... Um, Liquor cases like when people opposed a licence or when a particular publican had let 53 16-year-olds get drunk on their premises oh, or yeah. something Not like good. that. Not good. Not good. So, um, yeah, so so I went fishing with a couple of guys, which is bizarre enough because I hate fishing. To this day I hate fishing. But it was yeah. a good weekend away on a paddle boat near Mildura. And I remember Easter Sunday sitting on the back of the boat and just a, a knowledge, no other way of describing it, a knowledge that I was going to be an officer and I was going to go to the training college the following year, which is a stupid thing to think when I hadn't even applied at that stage. Boom. Uh, what You said before about calling. Hmm. What, what do you make of all that? Because there are schools of thought and, you know, the whole thing about this podcast is people exploring yeah. ideas and, and things like that, but there are schools of thought that calling is, I mean, it's different for everybody. Well, that's just it. I think for some people calling is conviction. Yeah. I think for some people... I've heard it described as a nudge. Precisely. It could be that. I I think for some people it's um, periodic and by that I mean you could be called for a time. You know, give me three years, says God. Yep. I think for some people it's opportunity or calling presents as opportunity. Like it's not that officership had been on your radar before but now life circumstances mean that, hey, I could do that. I'm settled enough, I've had my career or I've done whatever I can do now, I can give 10 years in this capacity. Um, I think for other people it's because they have a burning desire to do a role that is related to officership. So maybe they are skilled and gifted and inspired in a social work or in a core ministry or in a particular (coughs) administrative role and one of the ways that that can be expressed is through officership. So I think for everyone it's different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I mean, it's helpful because there are people view it differently. Yeah. And if people's story don't align with someone else's story, they say, "Well, maybe my story is not legit." You know, maybe there is a. a I think sp- for some of us, it changes over time too. Like for me, it started with that conviction that this is what I was meant to do at that time and place. Let me stop. Are you as convicted now as when you first started? I think I'm convicted differently. Oh, come on. What does that mean? Well, it's not about this is what I have to do anymore. For me, it's about this is where I can express my skills and gifts for the benefit of others and... and Is it what you want to do still? It's a loaded question. I think it is. And the only reason I say I think is because... What I want to do is often expressed in a specific role and there is an opportunity to do those sort of roles through officership. So do I have to be a Salvation Army officer? No. 
but it does give me the opportunity to do some of the things that, to use your phrases, help me come alive and those sort of things. Who's your favourite officer? Oh, look, that's hard to that's hard to narrow down because there's been lots for different reasons. Um, if I had to if I had to give you a few names, I'd firstly give you Headley Headley Watson. Um, now, unfortunately, Headley died two three years ago, um, but he was my grandfather. He was a leader in Salvation Army social services for decades. Yep. Um, managed many of our key programs that are still running today um, and was a state social secretary as well. So, and, and he was one of those guys that was just spiritual and practical wisdom but just quietly spoken. Um, another one that I've always had a lot of time and love for is a guy named Frank Daniels. Um, as a young single bloke sent out into the middle of nowhere, which it felt like the bush. Stall's not the middle of nowhere. No. Yeah, Western Victoria is not the middle. It's not a remote setting, but... Yeah, but it feels like it. It feels like when when you grew up in Fairfield, your home call was Preston and you went to school in Carlton. Yeah. um, And you went to uni in Carlton and your first job's in East Melbourne. Yeah. um, Stall feels a little bit... You're a city boy. Yeah, yeah. Stall feels a little bit regional. Um, So I'm out there by myself. I'm a single guy. Frank was my DC, my first divisional commander. and. Really mentored and supported me, was like a second dad while I was out there and over the course of the last 20-odd years has become a really close friend. Um, so you sort of weave together? Like as yeah. In your story, yeah. So, um, so a couple of guys like that certainly stand out in mm. the way that they've inspired and supported and loved. Yeah, good. You also have um, international experience. Yeah, I've been really blessed. Um I fell into that in a way. Back in 2004, many people will remember there was a massive tsunami that um, wiped out half of South Asia um, and affected countries from the Maldives, India, all the way around to Indonesia. And most famously for Australians, there was a connection with Indonesia because we sent our troops to Bandar Aceh and whatever. Um, the Salvation Army res- responded in seven or eight countries, had quite a bit of funding come in to support that and as part of that decided that they would train officers to respond to disasters. And so there was a group of us that were lucky enough to be selected uh, to, to to participate in that training um, and a number of that group, guys like Stuart Evans, Drew Rutherford and so on, we ended up sticking through and became part of the International Emergency Services team. Um, so from there I took on secondments and did my first secondment the following year in India uh, where I was responsible for our while oversighting the projects that were responding to that disaster in India Central Territory and India Northern Territory um, and um, did a reasonable enough job that IHQ kept me on the books and since then I've worked in a number of countries. What's your, what's your most recent... My uh, most recent... I was going to say your most recent disaster but I don't mean in Tassie or anywhere else, I yeah. mean overseas. Yeah, well, it falls into a couple of different categories. I did go to Nepal at the start of last year on a monitoring and training visit, but that wasn't really my disaster. That was just making sure we were on track. Mm. Um, the most recent one that I've looked after was the Cyclone Pam that hit Vanuatu in 2015 or 2016. Um, so I did a couple of months over there. And that was a unique setting as well because you were not only the team leader for the International Emergency Services, but because our ministry... In Vanuatu is so small, we only have two core, one in Port Vila and one in uh, Anayatum and they're both oversighted by the Australia, what we now call the Australian Eastern Territory. Um, they 
um, you sort of became a quasi head of the salvos as much as just the head of the response. It was a really interesting and unique environment. Yeah, right. Are you still involved in that? Is that you yeah. still on the books? I'm still do, on the books. So they just don't ring anymore or just... No, 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 I'm still on the books and they do ring. I was on standby last year to respond to a disaster but the good news is that the Territory decided at the last... that the Territory Concern decided at the last minute that they could um, manage their own disaster, which is exactly what we want. We want to empower the Territories to look after their Indigenous um, situations. Yeah. Um, so that was good for them, a bit sad for me. So could you have imagined at the beginning of your officership 20 years ago, I believe it, um, that you would have been to all these places, seen all these things. And, oh, I couldn't imagine it. And the experiences I mean, I, you've been exposed to? I think in reality back then I didn't even know some of these places existed. I mean, I wasn't ignorant completely but, you know, to go and work for a couple of months in Mali or Uganda or Haiti, they're all places that aren't typically on everybody's radar even when you do geography classes or whatever. So, no, I couldn't have imagined it just because I wouldn't have contemplated those places. Yeah, Okay. So, you know, we're doing this come alive stuff yeah. uh, for officer recruitment, which is... You'll be pleased to know I've even seen it at my call. Thank you. Well done, JM. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I think of ways, when we, we talk about ways of, you know, how you um, come alive, for everybody it's different. And for some people it is full-time ministry, some people it's not, you know, we, we get all that. But for you as a Salvation Army officer, um, as a dad... As a husband, as a friend, you know, like you got an extended family. What makes you come alive? Well, this is where we come back to the opportunity stuff. So over the years I've learned that a few things may become alive. One is the outdoors. I love being at the ocean. I love bushwalking, those sort of things. I like anything related to fitness. I like anything challenging. I love to travel. I love experiencing new cultures and being with new people. Um, and so whether it's moving to the inner city of Perth or whether it's going to Timbuktu in Africa, you sort of get to tick those boxes. And um, the the opportunity has certainly been there through officership to do that in a way that I possibly wouldn't have gotten too many other ways. Mm. Jesus. Yeah. <coughs> that's not the end of the... That's not a, no, no, just, he, he can be a statement in himself. The, yeah, he can, but... <laughs> How how do you like just in your own spirituality and your own faith and understanding of who he is and how you see him at work? How, how do you describe that for for yourself? Given that there are, you know, sometimes you're in an office, sometimes you're in front of a camera, sometimes you're in Uganda, sometimes you're in, you know, wh- wherever you find yourself. How do you where do you see him at work and how do you see him at work? In you, not as a Salvation Army officer, no, no necessarily, no. just as Brattles. I, I find God at work in the way other people respond to things quite often. So you, you're in the middle of a disaster, or you're dealing with a homeless person on the street of Perth, or you're speaking about an issue regarding regional inequality in Northwest Tasmania. And often God is very present in the way people respond to those situations. And I'm constantly inspired within the Salvation Army at the way our team, Salvos, regardless of their employment status, um, Salvos in general respond to those things and show God in our world. Um, So that for me is a key source of inspiration. Um, I I also 
do read a fair bit and even whether it's whether it's picking up a verse of the day or, or, or whatever else, I'm constantly reminded of how God is at work and how we should be at work as his agents through that. Um, so even yesterday, for example, someone had suggested that we – we're working on a transition program at the moment. Someone had suggested we read John 13 through to 17 because it's Jesus' last supper. He's giving his last instructions to his disciples and he's talking about his transition. I'm going, spirit's coming, you know, change of leadership here, crack on. So we're looking at – I thought, oh, yeah, I'll have a read of that. I didn't get much past the first three or four verses because in that space it says, you know, Jesus sat down with them and he loved his own and he loved them to the end. So in verse 1, I'm saying, okay, we've got a God here who, regardless of anything else, loves us and will love us and will love us through eternity. Um, and, and this is a God that loved these people, remembering that he's sitting down with Peter, who he knew would betray him before morning. He's sitting down with Judas, who was going to kiss him to death, literally. Um, but he loved him to the end. Mm. Cool. So I didn't get much past the first few verses because I'm just reflecting on that even at the moment thinking, well, that's huge. What do you say to people who are you 20 years ago thinking, what? Maybe I do have a conviction for ministry. Well, like and they're wrestling with it or they're sort of trying to process it. What, it's just as we wrap up, what's your sort of encouragement to them? Oh, you want people to have a crack. You really do. Um, take a swing. Take a swing. I mean, <coughs> I more than anyone else had hesitance. Um, I wanted to ensure that I wasn't doing it for family reasons. Because mm. your um, parents were officers my too, parents were officers. My uncle was an officer, grandparents were officers. Um, so I wanted to ensure that was part of the piece. Um, I was very young. And um, look, my, my hesitance meant that it, you know, I did almost my complete two years of training, you know, because in those days the option really was two years residential training or two years residential training. Yeah. So I got to August of my second year. I was due to be commissioned in um, the end of November and I actually checked out for 12 months. I actually said, look, I'm still not sure. Um, I need to go reflect um, I need to go and decide whether I want to be a free and easy 23-year-old or whether this is really for, for me mm. or 22 or however I was at the time. Now, I obviously worked through it enough to come back 12 months later um, and get commissioned. But, How did um, you finish like three months of college? Oh, How that, does that was work? a mess. That's sort of a nightmare. <coughs> um, I'd been studying concurrently as well, so I had most of my Bachelor of Theology done by that time and the, the honest truth, I came back and... Because I was an unknown and unreliable type, they wanted to watch me for six months, make sure I was going to stick it out. <laughs> so so they should. So they should have. <laughs> so I was accepted back on the 1st of July with six months to, to do but no study units left to do except for like a hole in a seminar or something like that. So, so it was a bit awkward. I ended up um, assisting at a core as a cadet assistant for six months. So I worked with Bram and Jean Cassidy as their assistants out at Murrelbark. Mm-hmm. Um, did the lovely commute from Park, Parkville to, to Moorle Park. <laughs> Just a lazy... <laughs> Just a lazy hour and a half. At least I was going against the peak most of the time. Um, so I did that to fill in time, really. Um, and it was a good experience. Uh, like I, I valued it. They were good. The call was good. 
it worked. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but to, to your question about what I would say to people, I would say you don't have to have together and you don't have to be a – sounds like the worst thing to possibly say, but you don't have to be 100% sure. Just have a crack because God sorts it out. Yeah. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. You'll come back. You'll you'll get a you you'll find your feet. You'll find your place, um, and and it will work. Yeah. Cool. Any last pearls of wisdom you'd like to share? Oh, I don't know that I've got that much wisdom to share, mate. <clears throat> you might have used it all. I probably have. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, th- I think that's just it. I mean, don't don't wait until all the ducks line up if it's something you're sufficiently convinced about. If it's that much of an interest to you, throw your hat in the ring and have a go and God sorts out the rest. Major Brett Watson, thanks very much for taking the time to have a chat with us. Thanks, mate. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks for joining us for more about Officership. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash SA Candidates Australia. If you want to explore Officership further, please speak to your local core officer or candidate secretary. The Salvation Army needs more leaders. Is God asking for more of you?